Revelation chapter 1 is where we're studying today, and uh, the title of the series is Storm Warnings. Uh, now, I am starting uh, a series that's going to take us uh, all through the summer and into the fall as we study verse by verse through the incredible last book of uh, the New Testament, the book of Revelation. I want us to begin with verses 1 through 3. Read it with me if you would. Everybody have it? Uh, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God made him to show his servants what must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, uh, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those who take it to heart. Uh, what is written in it? Because the time is near. title of this morning's message is simply blessed. Blessed. Revelation chapter, three, chapter 1 verse 3 says that we are blessed if we read, if we hear, if we take to heart and obey and live a, life, a changed life as a result of what we read in the book of, uh, and study the book of Revelation. Storms. We face them every single day. We face storms of terrorism. We face financial storms. We face health storms. And for those of us who are Christians, we face the storm of standing tall for Jesus Christ in a culture that is increasingly uh, tolerant and tells us that we must be tolerant uh, because that's the highest virtue that anyone can have. Uh, can have. Uh, so our culture says. Storms are nothing new for followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said storms ought to be expected in our lives. Matthew 24, verse 6 and 7, Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. You'll hear of famines and earthquakes. Now, as John begins this uh, letter uh, to uh, seven different churches, it's a fascinating story that he, that, he, uh, that he writes. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background. John is the oldest living apostle. All of the rest of the apostles by this time have all been executed for their faith in various different parts of the world. All of the apostles, with the exception of one, spread out away from Jerusalem to the four corners of uh, God's world, uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they all gave their lives just like Jesus did as a result of that testimony. John now, 60 years after Jesus went back to heaven, in the mid-90s of the first century, John is the oldest living apostle probably in his 90s. For the first 20 years of the church, Rome, the government of the day of all the known world, considered Christianity just the sect of the Jewish religion. And while there was isolated persecution, it was not widespread. Then beginning about 30 years, about 60, uh, 30 years after Jesus, about 60 AD, Christianity became an official illegal religion. We'll talk more that, about that in coming weeks. And there was beginning to be more widespread persecution around the church. However, as the first century came to a close, and this image of a coin is coming up on the screen uh, right now. Gary, if you'll go ahead uh, to the next slide. It's the image of uh, Emperor uh, Domitian, uh, and this coin was uh, used all across the Roman Empire. We'll learn a whole lot more about the image and about the uh, emperor uh, there. 
But what I want you to understand, that Emperor Domitian was, had now unleashed a storm of Christian persecution across the entire, uh, uh, the, the entire empire, all the way from Great Britain in the west uh, to uh, Israel in the east, from Germany in the north to northern Africa, all across the Mediterranean, Christians were beginning to be butchered and, uh, for their faith. Now, John writes chapter 1, he describes his own personal storm. In verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the, gospel, in the suffering and kingdom uh, uh, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ, was on the Isle of Patmos because of the testimony of the word of God, uh, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Exile was a a common form of punishment during the first century, and Patmos was kind of a a, a prison island. It was very barren. It was about 40 miles off the uh, coast of modern-day Turkey, and the conditions were harsh. Uh, John was in his 90s, and he was forced every day into exhausting labor. He had insufficient food and clothing, and it was tough on him as an apostle. But Paul, uh, John writes, and he said, I'm addressing some other Christians that are just about to enter in to the same type of persecution that I am facing. In verse 4, he says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Asia is here, the dark dark color, modern-day Turkey, and he addresses seven churches there. In verse 10 and 11, it says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice uh, like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches that I'll identify, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Not going to spend any time on that right now. We'll talk about those churches next Sunday. But what I want you to understand, that while Revelation does have a universal message, we cannot forget that it was written by an apostle on the island of Patmos in prison to a group of churches at the end of the first century that were now undergoing severe persecution. Now, I realize that today, we, and most of the teaching today, i got to tell you this, you would think that John starts a letter this way. John to the churches in America in the 21st century. Folks, in our arrogance, we have the attitude that the Christian uh, uh, kingdom revolves around our nation, and it does not. You realize that there's only about 240 million Christians of any people that call themselves Christians in any way, shape, or form in America, only about 240 million, the majority of Americans uh, would claim to be Christians. You realize in the world there are over 2 billion brothers and sisters in Christ? Folks, if your skin is, is, is white, if you speak English, I want to explain to you that you are far in the minority in relationship to people that follow Jesus today right now. Brown skin, black skin, yellow skin, Languages uh, that would be spoken in South and Central America and all across Asia and uh, and Africa, all over the world, people are uh, following Jesus Christ. And so while Revelation does have a universal message, we must not forget that it was a letter written to a group of first century Christians entering the storm of persecution. Now I want to tell you as we begin this study today, and this is just a very brief introduction to the book, 
I want you to understand that I know that many of us today are facing uh, storms. And while you may not, their storm may not be being banished to a, 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 a barren island, your storm is just as real to you. But what I want you to understand, according to what we will study in the book of Revelation, what you may see now may not be anything compared to what the world will be facing and maybe even you will be facing as well. So the question we have to ask as we're going through the book of Revelation is how can I handle my storm? And I want to tell you, you can't handle your storm. You cannot. But if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the good news is you don't have to, okay? Because Jesus Christ is in the midst of your storm. Can I get an amen on that, all right? And that's what the book of Revelation is about. Because I want you to notice how it starts. The first five words are the most significant words in the entire book. He says, the revelation describing all the storms that are going to happen in your life and the terrible things that are going to happen in the end time and all of that. No. He says, the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Never forget that whatever we talk about as we're going through this study, the storms, the violence, all of that sort of thing, nothing, nothing supersedes Jesus Christ on his, on his throne. Now, what I want you to understand is that you can be blessed. That's a promise of God. You can and will be blessed just by reading the book. And I want to give you uh, the idea of reading the book of Revelation as we're going through this study, man. What a fascinating, uh, fascinating story. And you're going to read about bizarre images, and you're going to say to yourself, my goodness, I think John was on drugs when he wrote this, and hey, it was just weird stuff. We'll talk about why all of that was so and what it all means uh, as we go through the book. But I want you to understand that God says you're going to be blessed if you read, if you hear, but also if you uh, take it to heart. In other words, if it changes the way you live, okay? So what I want to do this morning is talk to you about two things that will bless your life tremendously if you'll understand them and put into practice and begin living in reality of these two ideas. Number one, write it down, Jesus is coming back very soon. Jesus is coming back very soon. Verse 7 and 8 talks about this. He says, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. I want to share with you five very quick truths uh, as we uh, see this first thing that we'll be blessed by. Five very quick truths uh, about the Lord's second coming. Write them down. Number one, we see the inevitability of Jesus' second coming. The inevitability of his second coming. Look, he is coming. The word look is one of the most often used verbs in the, in the book of Revelation. Over 25 times uh, the word look is there. Behold, watch this, pay attention to this. Revelation is a book of startling visions, but at the end, Jesus comes back. Folks, we know the end of the story, so we don't have to worry about the storms because we know the end of the story. Jesus is coming back. That truth appears uh, more than 500 times in 500 verses in the Bible. It said that uh, better, somewhere between uh, uh, one in every 25 or one in every 30 verses in the entire New Testament talk about Jesus' second coming. Number one, the inevitability of his coming. Look, he's coming soon. Second, the glory of his coming. 
He's coming with the clouds. Now, clouds symbolize God's presence. In wilderness wanderings in Exodus 13, and on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, the entrance of the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 33, and the dedication of the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8. We read about God's presence being present in the midst of the cloud. Folks, the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven on a cloud. And the first disciples of Jesus were told, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus is going to come back on a cloud one day just like he went into heaven. Folks, I don't believe that most people believe that anymore. I don't believe that most Christians even trust that Jesus is going to return. But folks, I want to understand it doesn't matter whether you believe it or whether you're living with expectation of it, Jesus is going to return. And there's no reason why that return couldn't come before I'm done here in about six or seven minutes, okay? No reason whatsoever, and the question is, are you ready? Number three, the scope of his coming. The scope of his coming. Every eye will see, the Bible says, even those who pierced him. Now, folks, I want to tell you, as you know, I do not shy away from controversial ideas when studying Scripture. And I know that I'm right now going to get myself in really hot water with a lot of you uh, when I say this, all right? I understand this. And and I really thought, man, I could teach the whole book of Revelation uh, down one track and then uh, stop at the end of that and say, now let's wipe the slate clean and I'm going to teach it down a whole different theory. And I, I could prove both of them, man. I could prove both of them. This is what I know. That most Christians today, and it's really mainly based on a book uh, written called Left Behind. How many people read or or saw the Left Behind series? Great series. However, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure that that is scriptural on its basis. Now, before you throw stones, I'm okay with you disagreeing with me, uh, and I'm okay with one of us being wrong, okay? Uh, and, And that's okay with me. I heard one preacher one time, uh, he said I was asked, are you premillennialist or postmillennialist? And he said, I'm just all a millennialist. I can't even say that word. I'm all for it, how God wants to work it out, and that's me, man. Uh, and, and, but I want you to understand that most of that, uh, the idea that there's going to come a day when uh, Christians are secretly raptured away. You know, airplane pilots, poof, gone. Drivers in cars, poof, gone. And, uh, you know, uh, people uh, sitting in church, some of them poof gone, and everybody else standing around saying, what happened? You know, where did they go? We don't know. I'll give you several passages of Scripture for you to study. Luke chapter 17, verse 30 to 36. I'm going to take time to turn there. Luke chapter 17, verse 30 to 36 is where that uh, idea is mostly based on. Uh, It talks about two people grinding at the mill, two people in bed, one taking the other, uh, other left behind. But I want you to also write down Matthew, over against that, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 and 31. Because there you will read that every eye, every eye will see Jesus when he returns. Now that seems to argue against, poof, what happened? Every eye will see him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. I preached on that several weeks ago, but I uh, write it down. It talks about the fact that Jesus will come back with a loud command, with a shout, with the trumpet call of God. And folks, I want you to, there's nothing secret in any of that language, okay? But go back here to Revelation chapter uh, 
uh, verse 7 says, Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye. Nobody's going to miss Jesus' second coming. Nobody's going to miss. We'll talk more about that as we go on in, in coming weeks, and we have time uh, to talk about that. Uh, but I want you to see, number three, the scope of his second coming. Number four, the response of his second coming. The response of his second coming. The Bible says, in this verse of Scripture, it says that all peoples will mourn, and others will say, so shall it be, amen. Do you remember the two responses in the story of the ten bridesmaids that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 25? Remember the story? The, the bridesmaids were all waiting on the bridegroom to come back. By the way, the bridegroom uh, uh, is Jesus. The bridesmaids are just people that are waiting on the second return. And remember what happens? Half of them were sound asleep, and their, their, uh, their oil had run out when, when the bridesmaid, when Jesus comes back. They weren't expecting it. They didn't think he was going to come back. He's taking a long time to return. And so they were just sitting back, taking a nap, saying, well, maybe he'll come back, maybe he won't, but they were not prepared. Folks, I want to tell you, there are going to be a lot of people unprepared on the day when Jesus comes back. And I believe a lot of people in church are going to be totally shocked, totally shocked when Jesus returns. Other people, the other bridesmaids, man, when Jesus, when the bridesmaid came, they rejoiced and they shouted and they were thrilled. And I just got to ask you, on that day, are you going to be mourning or are you going to be shouting? Are you going to be saying, oh man, oh no, I can't believe I didn't live my life for Jesus. Or are you going to be shouting on that day? The last thing I want to say this morning is uh, the certainty uh, about Jesus' second coming and that his coming is absolutely certain. I love the words of verse 8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus said, I'm the beginning and the end. Nobody else has anything to say about this. I'm the beginning and the end. First and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am he who is and who was and who is to come. I have no time constraints. For you and I, we say to ourselves, well, Jesus hadn't come back in 2,000 years. I guess he's forgotten us. Do you remember the Bible says, God to God, a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years like a day. Man, when Jesus comes back to God and for all of us, for all of eternity, understanding our lifespan, our lifespan of 20, 30, 50, 70 years here are going to be just like, boom, and it's past. Folks, I want you to understand, God's not forgotten his promise. And Jesus will come again. Well, the book of Revelation is a challenge to every person to be ready for his coming. Well, I didn't even get to the second half of my sermon, and you're saying that's okay, uh, and that's a good thing. But what I want you to just jot it down, write it down, the second idea, go ahead uh, to the next one. Jesus Christ is coming for his church very soon. Uh, next uh, idea, Gary, and that is that Jesus Christ is in the very midst of his church uh, right now. If you will read verse 12 down to verse 16, you will understand that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his church. And while all kind of storms and problems are rising and shaking the church, and there are times today that it just seems like Satan's winning and the church is losing, folks, we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is God wins, Satan loses. And all those with God wins and all those with Satan loses. Now, the question is, so what? All right, say it out loud. 
So what, all right? Let me give you this as we come down to the end of the chapter. In verse 17 to 19, he gives us three things, three responses that we ought to have in relationship to what we've learned today. He says in verse 17, when I saw him, when I saw Jesus in the midst of all of what was going on in my life, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and became, behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to uh, death and Hades. Let me give you three words, three responses to what we've heard today. That Jesus is in the midst of his church and that Jesus uh, is going to come again. Number one, John says, fear. Write it down. First response to understanding who Jesus is has to be fear. That response was standard for the few times in Scripture uh, where people experience heavenly visions. Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 10, all of those people fell down on their faces in traumatic fear, realizing that God was in their presence. Now, I know today we have the idea that God is just kind of like a, a, a warm fire that we can cuddle up next to and get warm and sing kumbaya and say, oh, isn't it wonderful to be in the presence of God? Folks, I want to tell you, if God's presence prevailed in this place today, there would be such an attitude of fear that there would not be a one of us left in our seats. Like John, we would only fall on our face in fear before the holy, living, transcendent God. Word number two is the word assurance. Fear, number one, but assurance, number two. For anyone in the midst of storms, there's always a sense of fear. But there's also a sense of assurance for the Christian. Do you notice what he says there? Don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Folks, I don't know what your storm is today, but I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is with you, okay? He's with you uh, in the middle of your storm. The last word is the word duty. He writes in verse 19, write. Write the things I've given you, what you've seen and what is now and what will soon take place, and the mysteries of the seven stars and on and on and on. While Revelation is a book that contains prophecy and it is apocalyptic literature, we'll talk about what that means in weeks to come, we must never overlook the fact that in the book of Revelation there is command after command after command after command to obey. Someone has estimated somewhere between 29 and 35 different commands to follow as a result of hearing. John uh, is told, John, you have a duty to do. Write down what I've given you. Share the warning. Share the encouragement that I'm going to give you to people around you. Folks, we got exactly that same warning. How many people know somebody that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior of their life? Folks, I want to give you the same imperative that John was given, and, and to me as well. We have the duty, the duty, the obligation, the command of Jesus Christ to share with them who Jesus is and what he has done in their lives. Well, I don't know what storms you're going through today right now, but they're likely to get worse. I want you to know 
<coughs> two things. Number one, Jesus is in the very midst of your storm. Number two, <coughs> Jesus is coming back very, very soon. I just got to ask this question. Does your world need you to take a stand for Jesus today? Does it? Is it okay for our lost world to see a church of gutless Christians that just say, well, you know, Jesus gave us all, but no, I don't care. Or does Jesus deserve you and I to take a stand for him? We're going to sing a song right now, and I'm going to ask that if you don't know Jesus as Savior of your life, to take a stand for him and say, I want, I, I want to name him as Savior of my life. Uh, if perhaps you're here today, and man, you've kind of been on the fence, and you've just kind of been waffling along, you're not really in, uh, you're kind of not really sure about all of this stuff or not, uh, at least people around you don't see you living a changed life, I'm going to ask you right now to take a stand for Jesus as well. Maybe it's at the cross, maybe it's in prayer with Aaron and I here at the front, uh, maybe you need to accept Jesus as Savior of your life. Whatever your decision is, uh, would you make it as we sing together? Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that in the congregation this morning, that there would be people that would say, you know what, I have messed around long enough with just pretending to be a Christian, but Father, I want to be sold out for you 100%, and I want to rise up with that duty of saying, man, I want to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to sign up for that mission trip. I want to contribute to somebody that is working on the mission field in a powerful way. I want to consider even going around the world or across the block to talk to somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Father, make us a body of committed believers. In Jesus Christ is my prayer. Amen.